Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 55 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm delinquent once again. This is getting to be a very bad habit for me. I do have a good excuse this time. I've been crafting up a storm. Sewing, actually, has been my latest obsession. Today, what I'd like to focus your attention on is a returning guest. I'm very pleased to have Amy Carroll back on the show. She is a prolific blogger and crafter and artsy woman extraordinaire. She is a mom. In fact, congratulations are in order because on Friday, Amy and her husband welcomed their latest bundle of joy, Lydia Rose Matern. So they have three girls. I know I grew up in a family of three girls, and it certainly is fun. I have two girls of my own. I don't know that I'm going to be matching Amy, but congratulations, Amy. And as if that isn't enough good news, Amy also has a book out, and that's why she's back on the show. At the time I talked to her, let's see, her interview was episode 27 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. So if you haven't heard that interview, I encourage you to go back into the archives. Those of you who live out west, prepare to be annoyed because I do say Oregon. This is a chronic problem for me. I'm continuously mispronouncing Oregon. I think it was Amy's episode that I screwed that up. It could have been actually another person. But anyway... It's great for me to be able to talk to people before they have book deals and then see what happens after they do. Her book, Bend the Rules Sewing, which is available now, is the essential guide to a whole new way to sew. Amy did a great job in this book. I have tried out a number of the projects. In fact, she's partly to blame for my latest sewing infatuation. For those of you who don't know Amy Carroll, she has a design background. Like many of us, she graduated from college and was able to land a wonderful job. But yet she wasn't quite fulfilled with it. She was thinking, this is kind of for the birds here. And decided that she was going to move from her impressive job as a commercial interior designer to something else. The story she tells in episode 27 is definitely worth listening to. Amy, since uh, we talked, she's had a birthday. She recently turned 35. Her blog is very, very popular. She writes that angry chicken blog, and no, she's not an angry chicken. She lives with her wonderfully supportive husband in Portland, where she works out of a home studio to create art quilts, prints, and paintings. You might also be familiar with her website, KingPod, where she sells her art, and she's also sold children's clothing through that site. She also runs Mail Order, which is a subscription-based craft activity club that you know, involves ID cards, merit badges, fake money, secret passwords, and decoder rings. Amy also runs Time One On, which is a fabulous website where there's a theme each month and participants are asked to make an apron according to that theme and submit it to the site. The site is really cool and you'll find links to all these things at craftsanity.com. The focus of the interview today is her new book, Bend the Rules Sewing. I hope you guys enjoy this show. I know I certainly enjoyed my conversation with Amy. And hopefully we'll get you thinking too about what you want to do. Sit back, grab a project and prepare to be inspired. We want to talk about Bend the Rules Sewing, the essential guide to a whole new way to sew, which I love and congratulations to Thank you. you. Thank you. you this, I'm so happy to see that you have your first book. I know you, you've contributed to a book before though, right? You, this is I, your, have, yeah. I have. Yeah. You, that was, um, remind me what title that was. Um, actually, there's a few. There's the Crafter's Companion that Snowbook put out, and then the Crafter Culture Handbook, which is by Amy Spencer, and that's a book that's available in the UK. And then um, there's two more coming out, Simple Contemporary Quilts by Mark and um, a Pidden Cushion book by Mark. So those all have, those two of them are out now, and then two I've contributed to, and they'll be coming out really soon. Well, that's wonderful. And this is your first solo. Yes. 
flight here, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Most definitely. So are you, how are you feeling? Because you've, you've got a chance to see the book. It will be in June, the same week as, the, as Baby Number Three. It's funny because when people ask about the book, I can't, I, I love talking about it, but I, in my brain I can't separate it out from this baby because, um, you know, they're both happening so, so much at the same time. And I think it's really good because then I don't get completely fixated on um, I don't know, it's hard to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. I do better when I'm sort of divided in my intention. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been focused on one thing ever in my yeah, life. Exactly, exactly. So this is really good because uh, it's, it's, all, it's all life stuff and it, it, makes it, it makes it nice. Yeah, well, it's very exciting. So your um, winter due date? The 21st. Oh, the 21st. Okay, so you weren't kidding about this all being within like a week's time. Yeah. Yeah, so people keep forgetting, and they're like, are you going to have a big party or a book signing? Are you going to do a, any sort of, um, you know, traveling? And I'm, I, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really not. We might try and do something in Portland in August at, you know, a local fabric shop or something. But. Yeah, well, that will be fun. Yeah. And and it's nice, too, that you're grounded in your family, too, you know, because I, I, that's wonderful. And I think that probably enriches your work more than anything else. Right. Well, but, I mean, even, you know, I mean, I, you know. I don't think it would be even possible, though. No, it w- no. It, you'd, I, if you were telling me that you were going to leave, like on the, you know, you're going to get out of the hospital, and on the 26th you're going right. to be signing books somewhere in Seattle, I'd be like, okay, this person needs to, to rethink. It. Yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah, you're right. It's not possible. Um, yeah. But even if it were, it's that's not really my my gig. I have to say, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I love traveling for adventure, but not not for. You're not seeking the spotlight. Not so much with this. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's one thing that's so great about the blog is that you know you can do all of this in your armchair. Exactly, and you don't have to face anyone. Yeah, I have plenty of places to talk about myself. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to have a, probably just a wonderful response just from the people that have followed you on the online. You know, read your blog, and you know, have been because I know when we did the initial interview. I mean, your talk was one of the most popular shows. I mean, that has I've ever done. So, oh, that's really yeah, awesome. you have a lot of fans out there. And oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I, I have to say the one thing that um, there's a lot of things about this book that I really am proud of. But one of the, the the biggest was that I was able to kind of retain my voice when I was writing because that was my whole goal is to just really talk about sewing um, in a down to earth way that was more my humor and my way of explaining things and. Um, so I'm hoping that when people read it, they'll say, oh, God, this sounds just like her blog. You yeah. Know, they'll recognize the, the same voice. Well, I, that's one of the things that I think makes it appealing, because I, as I've had a chance to look at um, you know, one of the proof copies, it's, I love that about this book, that it's not one of those sewing books, the how-to manuals that make your eyes glaze over. Because right. you know, I think for a lot of people, the barrier between them becoming a really great you know, seamstress or just someone who can sit down and really sew without being stunted by the process itself is, you know, just having some basic skills. And your book is great for beginners, but also inspiring for those of us who've been sewing a little bit. I hope so. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah. And, you know, I love I love that that your voice comes through. And I love that you also call it Bend the Rules. That really appeals to me because I really <laughs> rarely ever, you know, follow patterns exactly or rules exactly. Um, you know, um, and I don't want to mislead you. I'm definitely not a rebellious type, but I'm just, when it comes to crafting, I like to be able to go in any direction I want. And I love that you're empowering people. You're telling them how to to do this in a, a way that's going to actually get them to the finished product without tearing their hair out, but empowering them to make decisions about what they want to do and how they can take it in their own direction. So That was really, I, the Bend the Rules, it's a little sneaky in a way because I think I'm really, um, I'm saying Bend the Rules, but I'm also saying learn all this stuff kind of before you bend the rules. Right, you definitely or, say that at the beginning. Exactly. Yes. Or I'm saying if you choose not to learn all this stuff, be aware that these things can go wrong. Exactly. And so that's really what it's about because I do feel like I have a lot of friends that are different, at different levels of sewing and Eventually, they become trapped kind of in their own process, and it's because they either haven't put in a zipper or haven't done a button or feel like they can't go into garment sewing or can't, you know, they, they've put up this wall for themselves, and, and I feel like it's because of this fear of following directions. Mm-hmm. So as much as I want to say bend the rules and do your own thing, I also want to say it's okay to really 
get a pattern and, and do it from beginning to end. And if you do that, you might find that it opens up a whole world, you know, a whole different right. world for you. Because if you can't, if you start bending the rules before you know the rules, <laughs> you're yeah, going to end up with a disaster, you know. Well, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, the, that's one of the biggest turnoffs of sewing is if you bend the rules before you know some basic skills, it's expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the bottom line. It's expensive. And it's also really... Um, Disappointing. I think with craft projects, it's a, it's a little bit less, dis, you know, disappointing. But if you buy cute fabric to make a cute skirt and it doesn't work and you never wear it or it doesn't even worse, it doesn't even go together, that's a, that can be really discouraging. Well, not only that, I mean, you waste all that time, you, you know. You waste the time and you wasted the materials. And um, it's, it, it's just one of those things where I, I hear so many people say, gosh, I don't know how to sew. I just make it up as I go along. And I'm like, wow, I've been sewing since I was five, and I don't do that. Because I've tried it so many times, and it never goes well. You know, I usually have a, ba- you know, I have a whole slew of basic patterns that I, I use for my projects, and I don't really deviate unless I want a different shape, because I'm, you know, it's like cooking, it's like making up a recipe completely from scratch, like baking or something. I just don't want to waste the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's great advice. I mean, it, and that's, and this is a... Like I said, I mean, this is a great book, I think, for people that are just getting started. I know for me, I've been a little timid about, you know, my girls are one in three now, and I have yet to make them dresses. But I've kind of squirreled away this fabric, great fabric, and I've just been kind of like, well, you know, it hasn't, it's something I haven't done before, and do I really want to, you know, sit down and, you know, because I have limited time, and I'm like, man, i got to really focus on this. But I think taking some tips from your book, I'm going to feel a little more confident to um, – to start making the things I really want to make. and Well, that's, that's awesome. And I think, you know, this book has a couple kids things. Again, it doesn't really focus so much on clothing. It's no, focused. it doesn't. Not at all. But Right, right. But the, but the focus of it, the, the beginning of it is kind of how to set up your sewing space. And, and more than that, it gets a little bit more sort of um, analytical about thinking about where your brain is when you sew. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that that is really helpful to anyone doing craft projects, sort of what kind of sewer are you? What kind of crafter are you? What projects maybe suit you better? Or what would you know? What can you what can you work on in your crafting that will make you feel like you're not so trapped in doing the same thing or being afraid to try new things? And it's sewing clothes for kids is really really fun because again it doesn't take much yardage and it's um, usually pretty quick. So those those are great projects to get into. And I, I do have you know some smocks and bibs and hats and things and those are those are really fun. I think. And they're good entry-level projects to kind of get people's feet wet, you know, and before they launch themselves into the dress with a, you know, pleated skirt or something like that, you know. I mean, where they're, like, ready to pass out just at the, you know, when they look at the directions. If you would take a moment to just kind of give people a little overview of your book, um, because I don't want people, because I'm already misleading people into thinking there's, like, kids' dress patterns here. We want to just keep this so people... It's a misinformation interview. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, So why don't you take a moment to just give a little overview of of the book and maybe talk a little about your intention. You did, you kind of started to do that, but if there's anything else you'd like people to know as they go out and they're looking for the book on the shelf there. Right, right. Well, we start out with what you need to know. If there's a lot of pretty pictures in this book, and the type is pretty big, and there's illustrations, so it's not textbook um, looking at all. This is supposed to be really enjoyable to read. So there's learning to sew, and um, there's sections in there like bending the rules in sewing, bending the rules in life, and when that, I mean more kind of crafting and thinking creatively. What to do about mistakes and how you can think about mistakes, either correcting them or living with them. Again, this is a bigger concept that I think can translate into all different types of, of crafting. Mm-hmm. That's my intent anyway. And then getting started. So that's all about finding a machine, maybe buying a new machine, tools and um, notions that you might need, getting your area set up, and an overview of what to look for for fabrics. And again, this is more limited to um, the projects in this book, crafting fabrics. I don't really go into a ton about garment fabrics, mm-hmm. but there's good information there. And then um, a sewing vocabulary, so different terms, using the patterns in my book and techniques. And then there's the chapters with the projects. So there's 30 projects, and it's in three categories. One is gifts, and that's actually kind of a, it's sort of a catch-all because there's a zip pouch and totes and purses and clutches, and um, there's a dog collar and a bunch of different types of projects there. And then there's interior projects, so that's like coasters and placemats and pillows and napkins and 
curtains and aprons. Um, and then the last one is gifts for small people. So that's the kids' stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a hat and bib and a little um, turtle and a smock and a um, jacket and then um, the patterns are in the back and then there's resources. And the resources, you know, you can kind of go on forever. And I'm so glad to see that there was a an apron, at least. I think there's actually, is there two pattern or just one here? There, um, a vintage and then the tea towel apron. Yeah, there's the tea towel apron, um, which is a great beginning project, but there's also kind of a standard vintage apron pattern that you can make, and then there's different pockets. Um, which is great, because you can change the entire look of an apron right. by how you style it up with some pockets but yeah that was pleased to see given your Taiwan on well, uh, fame yeah, you know I mean, yeah definitely the apron I mean there was a lot of murmuring and there's been a lot of talking about an apron book in the last year and a half two years and that was initially kind of what I thought I was going to be doing but it sort of morphed into this and I'm really really happy but certainly you know there's a huge temptation to do an apron book as well well are you planning to do one at some point you know there. It's out there with a few other ideas for a second book. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple of, well, there's at least one apron book that has come out in the last um, year and a half that's pretty comprehensive, but, you know, it's, it's always on my mind, you know, so it's, I don't know. Well, given your love of aprons, yeah, yeah. don't rule it out by any means, because I think no. many of us would love for you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> But we won't get, we're jumping ahead to, I'm doing a really great job today. It's like I'm asleep at the home here. I'm like leading you all astray here. This is going to be like the scatterbrain um, episode of uh, Craft Sanity here. Well, you know, so we've kind of gone over some of the projects. Do you have a favorite project in here? Is there anything that you make a lot of that you use the pattern all the time? Um, You know, it's funny. Uh, This is a long answer to this question, but um, I, well, yes. Okay, so I'll give you the short answer first in case people just want to. Get, get, get the answer and then turn off the show. No. I know. I was just going to say that in case you want to stop listening. Um, <laughs> some of my family members, I'm like, did you hear that other interview I did with Chris and they're like, yeah, I think I listened to like the first hour. I'm like, okay, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but um, so the bibs, the bibs and the kids' smocks, I have to say, those are two things that I've initially when I started King Pod, which is my art website. I had my artwork on there, and I sold children's clothes that I made. And I don't, I mean, this is, you know, almost three years ago now, and it seems in the Internet world that's like, what, ancient history? Mm-hmm. But um, that's what I did is I, I sold clothes, and I sold bibs um, at a lot of shops here locally. And, man, those things are awesome. I just, I can't talk about how much I love those bibs. They're flannel backed, and you just sew them, turn them inside out, top stitch, put on a snap, and... Um, I'm really not into interfacing vinyl, um, oilcloth, any of that stuff, because I just don't think it feels good for, for no, babies. No, yeah, my kids hate those bibs. And yeah. so um, I just would run them under the sink with hot water and squeeze them out and hang them on the back of the high chair, and they dry overnight. And they um, were the best gifts I've ever given. They sold, like, hotcakes, and I, and I almost felt guilty. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a bib. This is so easy. But in cute fabrics, you know, they sold like crazy, and... Um, I used to make, you know, 50 at a time. That Well, 50 is a lot, and that would kind of burn me out, honestly. But um, you could easily sit down in a day and make a dozen just in like an hour if you cut everything out mm-hmm. and, you know, trace everything. And um, they make great gifts, and I just, it's one of those things that's so simple. And this is really kind of what fueled the book, is when people go into shops and they see things and they think that's so cute, I totally could make that. That's what this book is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be those projects that are simple. And yes, you could totally make this, you know. Um, and then the smock, the kid's smock. It's, it's a really basic pattern. It's one piece, and it's really quick. People, they'll go in and they'll see something in a store, and it could be anything, like, you know, whether it's a bib or a, some coasters or a pillow, and they think, geez, if only I could sew, right. I could make that. And it seems like you wrote this book for people like that in I part. Did. I did, and and so in a way that, um, in my mind, that really covers both people who know how to sew Mm -hmm. and people who don't yet but would like to. And I think, you know, my inspiration for this is probably two things. Um, The plethora of Japanese craft books out there. Oh, I love those. And Martha Stewart. And these two things, what they both do really well is they take simple everyday objects and 
and photograph them and style them in a way that's beautiful mm-hmm. and incredibly inspiring. And with both, um, you know, there's definitely advanced skills that, that sometimes they require in some of the Japanese craft books. You know, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty much for the heavy hitter crafter. But in many, many, many of these books, it's just a simple object that's photo styled in a beautiful way, in a beautiful setting. And it lets you say, wow, um, that's a napkin. Right, <laughs> you know, right. That's, that's just a piece of fabric that's hemmed on four sides. But it's, be- you know, it's beautiful. It's under a great teacup. And it's on a great wooden table. And Martha and her photo team has done that since the very beginning. You know, they've taken really simple things and photographed them in a beautiful way. And so when I was first developing this book, and my friends would say, well, how are you coming up with all these designs? And, you know, the, the designer in me was like, I'm not trying to make that real. I'm doing napkins. I'm doing placemats. I mean, these things, they exist. We know they're square. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do an innovative napkin or an innovative I'm just um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pick beautiful fabrics and show them in a way that remind people yes you can make these you know yeah they have really really nice fabrics at Crate and Barrel but you also can use these fabrics for napkins right and especially when you think about just the stashes a lot of us have where we have a lot of fabric sitting around that we're not really doing anything with that um, because I think seeing the and there's a photo on page let's see page um, 16 of your book, the one of the napkins. I was just like, wow, they look, I mean, I'm looking at a black and white copy here, so, I, and I'm still thinking, hmm, yeah, I, I could actually do that. I kind of made this conversion with cloth diapers. I went to the cloth diaper because I got tired of the landfill situation, just throwing right. stuff in. We go through a lot of napkins every day, you know, right. and it also can elevate a meal to feel like it's a really a bigger deal, especially for kids. I mean, it can be kind of a special thing to be well, using the cloth napkins. The kids, but I mean, I, we have, I, I have to say I don't really use a napkin because I'm probably just gross. <laughs> but the, the girls have so many napkins, you know, and they love them. Yeah. You know, they love um, the picnic and, you know, just setting up and having a special place in the cloth napkins. And, you know, napkins are a really good um, example sort of of, of of the book and what I was trying to achieve with this is that, you know, you're just given a simple object, but you just are reminded that you can make it. And it's really pleasing. And that's another thing, too, that you brought up that I'm, I'm excited about is these projects require very little fabric. Mm-hmm. And I often line a bag with a completely different fabric than the outside. And my style... And my sort of taste tends to be pretty eclectic. It's just things don't really match. And I also like things look pretty happy. And so it's not, it's not a real minimal kind of zen look I'm going for it. But it's not zany either. It's, it's kind of a bridging of the two. I'm, you know, it's hard to explain. But um, I think what's nice about it is when you see all the patterns together, it all kind of works. Well, and I think that's really something that is great, too, for people to see the examples of that in your book. Because a lot of times you go to a fabric store and it becomes kind of like overload where there's like so much to pick from and so much. So people get all these fabrics, come back and are like, wow, what am I going to do now? So um, to see you kind of enable or just telling people, hey, you know, here's the basics, here's the pattern, but pick what you want. And it's okay to have things that don't match exactly, you know, on the inside and the outside. And it just, it really is, um, I think, fun. It makes the project more fun instead of just doing, uh, you know, solid colors and, right. you know, the same old, same old. I love the pleated handbag okay. it, with the embroidery on the outside, which is optional. People don't have to do it if they don't want to. But it's great to just give, you know, you've given people ideas now how they can take a, a, a pretty basic um, bag pattern and, and really take it up a notch and personalize it. So Right. That was a big part of this book. And in, in fact, originally it was its own chapter. It was sort of its own sort of um, idea is, is altering fabric. And I decided that <clears throat> I'm so interested in that subject, I might actually expand on it for future projects. So I just sort of instead made it little bits in the projects. But there's rubber stamping on fabric and uh, painting on fabric and then hand embellishing on fabric. And that's something that um, I really, really love to do. And I think I love seeing the fabrics out there and I love seeing the fabric designs, but I have to say that I think more than any other fabric I have in my stash is muslin because I, I really like manipulating my own fabric and, mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of, and, and using solid colors. And, um, 
I was trying with this book to kind of get away from using fabric that was too recognizable. So almost everything in it is either vintage or found or um, altered in some way. That's awesome. And uh, and that really works also with reusing, kind of reusing clothes and reusing things that you have around the house. Do you do a lot of that? Do you find that you're reusing clothes a lot? Yeah. I Well, the thing with the kids' clothes is pretty amazing because... Um, you can spend all the time and labor on something, and then when you pull it out for your second child, it's like the biggest Christmas gift ever because you see it goes through an entire child's life again. And right. So it's, it's really gratifying, um, and, and everything is held up really, really well. Um, but I still use sweaters for pretty much everything, for hats and, oh gosh, applique. I mean, sweaters are kind of like my golden ticket. If I see a, a wool sweater line around, I'm going to set up pretty big. <laughs> and cut it up into something cool. Cut it up, felt it. You know, I have bags and bags of sweaters. And Pete's like, do, you know, do we really need the garbage bag of sweaters? I'm like, yes, we do. Well, I thought that was interesting, too, because you say, I think it's in your introduction, or it might be um, further <laughs> along than that, where you talk about how you you are describing your kind of your creative process of how it involves um, garbage bags of fabric, where it is, yeah. On, yeah, it is in your introduction. And I think that's really interesting, because I think a lot of times people think, that if they're not tidy and they're not organized and they can't be good at this, but yeah. what they don't know is that a lot of us, and I, I'm not, I definitely am not putting myself in the same category as you when you're considering sewing because you're, you're, um, you're a rock star. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that what people, you know, it, it's, I thought that was great that you disclosed that, that you're not like sitting in a studio with like this tidy, every color gets its own shelf kind of setup, you know? No, um, I'm not. And, you know, I have to say I don't have... I don't have as much fabric as a lot of people I know. I'm not really a fabric hoarder. And, but it's right there with my paint and my brushes and, you know, all of my other supplies. And um, I've tried, I've tried really hard to fold them and organize them throughout the years. And it just, the system doesn't work for me. And I'm sure there's, I think, you know, in college I did some Myers-Briggs thing and I found some really good rationalization for why I shouldn't worry about this. And so I don't actually. <laughs> the only thing that's a drag is that I have to really iron, pretty much spritz everything with water and iron it before I use it because it's so jammed into a bag. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember what I have, but that's actually kind of a nice surprise because when I go through it, I'm like, oh my God, I haven't found that bag in so long. I forgot. You know, it sounds completely crazy, but it's, um, I'm really, I just work better that way. And I know people show a lot of um, photographs of their art spaces and studios and stuff. And mine is, you know, it's, you can see the floor, but the fabric corner is pretty burly. It's a pretty, it's a pretty ugly sight. And, and that's why, so that's, it's not a retreat for me. It's not like the space is like my um, special Zen space. It's really more of like a, it's, it's, it's where I work, and it, it really works out just fine. But it's um, I, people would be appalled. <laughs> well, I find it actually reassuring that there are other folks that are highly successful who have the same kind of organizational you know skills that I have because I have like piles of stuff everywhere. And yeah, yeah it's but I the way I look at it, I have such limited time to actually craft. Like, I mean, right. that I don't want to spend, you know, eight hours or eight days or 80 days trying to set up a, a fabulous system because I know myself, I wouldn't keep it up very well. Right. <laughs> so. Well, I have to say, I probably would go to a lot more effort if I didn't give my kids full reign in my room. Yeah. But to me, um, there's nothing more appealing for a toddler or a small child than a stack full of beautiful fabric. I mean, oh, why yeah. Would, why wouldn't you pull that down off the shelf? And I can't even blame them, and I never would. So I don't really even tempt them, I just have them in bags. Then they take, they take them out of the bags, we just put them back in. They're really into my felt wall right now, which is where I do my big quilts, because they, of course, intuitively understood that all the fabric can stick to the felt wall, mm-hmm. so they work on their quilts, which are on the felt wall, which is when I'm working, which is pretty pretty awesome to see kind of what they throw up there. Anytime my daughter, Abby, ex- expresses any interest at all, you know, she'd be like, Mama, can we go look at the fabrics in the craft room? And I'm like, we absolutely can, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm just like, we absolutely, yes. It's like this child is tugging at my heartstrings, you know, anytime. Well, yeah, it's, you know. Really, it's, it's so gratifying emotionally, but honestly, it's selfish, too, because I I can be in there longer. I mean, right, right, because if they like it. It's, it's friendly for them, then it allows me to do more. And so that's probably... The, the most honest truth for why things are the way they are is that, you know, that's the only way I can get anything done is if there's, you know, everything's is soft and on the floor. If you say, oh, look at this bag of fabric. Right. You haven't seen this in a while. I don't even have to say you it. You dump it out, you know. Right, right. 
go to town, girls. Yeah, well, that's great. And I think, you know, that's another strategy for, you know, other parents out there who want to have more um, creative time is uh, bring the kids in, you know. Yeah, a lot of people ask me how I get done, what I need to get done. And especially because the girls are home with me, they're not actually in preschool or any sort of care or anything. So it really is like a full, full day. <laughs> right. It's incredible sometimes when, I, when I'm in it. But uh, it's it's definitely just setting up space for them to kind of live with me and, and what I do. And are you able to work every day on your on your on the things you want to get done? Yes and no. I, I mean, I definitely have categories. You know, like I, I do a lot of computer stuff in the mornings because they usually have breakfast to kind of do their own thing in the morning mm-hmm. for about an hour. And then, you know, if we play downstairs and they're listening to music, I can work in my room and then they come in and... You know, so I, it, even though I haven't really thought it all out, we, we sort of intuitively all know kind of when we're doing our different things. Mm-hmm. But, um, so what that means is I always have about 20 things going on at once. You know, I'll be <laughs> working like, you know, at, on mail order this time of the day. And this time of the day I'll return emails. This time of the day I'll do a sewing project. And then I really have to have a hand project that I can, that's portable. And so that's either like a crochet or a knitting or a hand stitching project because... You know, sometimes we just need to move wherever we need to go. And right. so that's when I do that kind of stuff, yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like you're able to craft your, your way through a day. And just imagine, like, when your girls, and this is the part I look forward to, is when my daughters get a little, you know, old enough to, to really get in there with me and really sew and do all these things. I mean, I think that's going to be just fantastic. Of course, I'm not going to push it, you know, if they right. express that they're not interested. Um, but boy, if they're interested, I'm going to be like on cloud nine, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it is really, I, I remember, you know, seeing friends with kids and just thinking, when will my kids do crafts? And will that ever happen? And I realized so much of it is just age and development. Yeah. And um, Delia, bless her heart, you know, two and a half, she just kind of goes for it. And then, you know, Huck something across the room and goes on to something else. Lady who's almost five, you know, she's like going at the linen with a little hoop and neon thread, and she's um. So it's yeah, and you know, um, like so many things, you know, you can want them to do stuff, but really, what they do is just copy you. Right. And so right. If you're always sewing and knitting, they're they're gonna they're gonna sew and knit. Right, I mean, right. it's like it's. I don't know how they could possibly avoid it. You know. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that's fun, and um, it, it's going to be interesting, too, to see you with your three children yeah. you know, juggling all these things. But it sounds like you have a great mindset about it, where it's not it's not a crisis. It's not a, you know, it's just we're going to craft our way through a day. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. And yeah. it sounds like you've gotten great inspiration from your kids, because you probably wouldn't have gotten into bib making and smock making and made all these great quilts uh, for, for smaller people. If you didn't have smaller people in your own house, you know. <laughs> No, yeah, it's true. It's funny, though, you know, I know a lot of people do this, the way you you make things for other people before you make them for yourself. Yeah. I'm guilty a little bit of that with my kids, too. You know, sometimes I bust out the best stuff for um, other kids' birthdays and things, and I use a lot of prototypes, you know, for my children, and uh, so I'm I'm getting better at, you know, well, I'm also reminded by them that they would like something that I've made. I just um, got a reminder last week, I made some SpongeBob bibs. Right. For a baby shower, and Abby's like, "Well, where's my SpongeBob bib?" Right. So I had to get out more fabric, and we're actually working on that right now. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I think you know, um, one thing that I would I would say about the book too is, even though there's a section called gifts, I really encourage people to make things and keep them. You know, yeah, <laughs> we make things and we give them away, and it, and and I hope everyone gives away gifts that they make to people who are truly. Um, moved and appreciative of what what goes into it but um one thing that's really changed for me in the last few years is living around the crafts that I actually make and touching them every day and especially when you're, you're doing something that takes a while and you know a while is relative you know if you are crazy and, and multitasking sometimes a while is more than 10 minutes you know if I'm fiddling with a hem for more than 10 minutes I'm like geez, you know, is this really worth it? <laughs> right. And then you use that placemat or you use that tea cozy. And four years later, you're going, I can't believe I was all bent out of shape about taking 10 minutes to hem this crazy thing. Right. I've been it for four years. But you don't get that experience if you give things away, you know. Um, and certainly giving away is, is a really important part of, of crafting and just kind of sharing what you love to do. But 
you know, keeping a handbag that you've made and using it throughout the year and, and really kind of, um, it's also a great way to learn because you might, you might say, gosh, you know, this one detail of this project that I took the time to do was really worth it. Mm-hmm. Or this one mistake that was so upsetting to me, I don't even notice anymore. Because you're with it every single day, but if you make something and immediately give it away, um, you don't get kind of that hindsight. And, um, and then the, and the other part, this is a little unrelated, but I wanted to say this because it's on my mind, is when you make something for someone, don't point out what's wrong with it. Yeah, we often do that. And that is, that's a horrible thing. You know, it, it undermines what you've done. And the recipient never notices a mistake. Just give it to them. And then, you know, they'll say, oh, my God, did you make this? Thank you so much. And just say, you're welcome. Right. It's really That's great it's, advice. It's an amazing thing. But once you start doing it, it's, um, it's, it really changes kind of the way you think about the way you work, you know. Because it's, it's like a huge, huge uh, compulsion to point out mistakes to people. And you don't have to, you know. I think that's great advice because I know I often do that. I say, oh, yeah. well, it's not that great. It, I screwed this part up. You know? right. <laughs> and then it's, you realize, okay, I've just given someone a gift and now I've told them that it kind of sucks. You know? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because you, <laughs> you don't, I mean, you, you don't want to be dishonest. And right. Pretend but pretend like, I like don't it's know, fabulous. there's a huge flaw in there. That, but at the same time, unless there's a hole in it, right. it's, it's probably that you need to warn them exactly. about. Like it's going to threat, you know, it's going to go up in flames or exactly. something. Right. It's going to self-combust. Right. You know, but otherwise, just, you know, don't say anything, you know, it, it, it really just kind of changes the, the whole thing. Well, how has this whole book process changed your life? Do you see your career going now in a different direction? It's hard to think about my career as this sort of umbrella and knowing sort of which way it's going. I don't know if anyone really can analyze it in that way. To me, it's sort of a project by project thing. And I think either I, I come, I, you know, I go into my head and I think, what do I want to do next? What's a what, you know, what are my daily goals and, and what's my weekly goal and what do I want to do in the next six months? Mm-hmm. So there's the, an internal part. And then the external part is, you know, sometimes I'm presented with opportunities and do I want to take them? You know, if someone comes to me and says, hey, do you want to do this? Or do you want to try and do this? And I think, do I want to try and do that? And so it's more of a kind of a case-by-case thing and it also depends on how much time I can commit. I mean, the reality is this book was written and designed in five months Wow! at a time when my husband was working at home. And I, I did have Sadie and Delia, but I also could start working every day, you know, at like four in the afternoon and get a few hours in before dinner. Mm-hmm. And that is no longer an option. Pete's got a great job, but it's, it's not at home. And so he's home at six, you know, and that's the way it is. And he often works late in the evenings and has definitely is kind of always checking in. So... You know, what I do is always kind of indicative of what I'm capable of doing at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's not really a ladder or a, um, I don't know, always achieving more and more. It's sort of like, well, this worked for me at this point, and I'm not sure what's going to work in the next year. So I don't really um, try to think of it as sort of a always bigger and better or more ambitious type thing. But I'm really, I'm really proud of it. It's interesting kind of going through the whole process of what I enjoy the most and what I ended up being the most proud of. And, what what uh, did you enjoy the most? I drawing the illustrations. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I, I, I think, I think I knew that because that's so much of what I, I like to do with mail order. But I think, you know, last time we talked, I kind of was bemoaning my <laughs> education and, and my job experience right after school in interior architecture. And <laughs> later I thought, God, it just seems so negative. But really, you know, there's a lot of parts of that career that I really loved. And there was a real reason why I, I chose to major in that, which was that I loved drawing and right. communicating information with drawing and directions. And I, I just love it. It's like a puzzle. And um, so designing the project and then trying to figure out a concise way to explain something with both words and illustration. And that's, that's challenging. I think probably the illustrations, um, when you're doing a series of illustrations like that, it's, that seems really challenging. I think the fact that you drew these out makes them less intimidating. Thank you. That was my intent. And also the quality of the line and kind of the quality of, I mean, we're getting into sort of totally dorky drawing, you know, kind of... Um, fetishistic kind of stuff here. But the line quality and the character of the drawings, I wanted to be unintimidating, which is why I actually insisted that, not that anyone even suggested 
suggested, but I initially made it really clear that this everything was to be done by hand, even the patterns. I didn't use CAD for the patterns of back. I actually just drafted them by hand, and I even did some freehand, and all the drawings are freehand. They're not done with a CAD drawing, because I think once you get into computers with this kind of thing, it starts to seem more precise than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted everything to look friendly. And again, this is getting back to part of the reason why I think some of the Japanese craft books are so appealing is that a lot of them are done with CAD, and a lot of them are a little bit more kind of clinical looking, but many, many, many of them are done with freehand drawings. And I just think it's a really beautiful way to communicate information. And I think um, I don't read Japanese at all, and so I'm totally talking out of, you know, <clears throat> the other end of my body right now so um, (laughs) but it does seem that in a lot of these craft books the clarity of the illustrations kind of trumps the words and so you don't need as much text and I think there's a real beauty in communicating information that way I actually have talked about that with my editors about kind of why there's so many Japanese craft books out there how quickly they can be turned out and part of the reason why I think that is is that there's there's just literally not as much text to edit. They're much more visual. Mm-hmm. The pictures show a lot and the illustrations show a lot. And so you can see, you know, um, I'm pretty into books and I'm pretty into <laughs> thinking about the organization of books and the organization of information and directions and illustrations and these are all things that maybe no one would even notice in the book, but they're all things that I really obsess get into, get really, really, really into, and um, I enjoy immensely thinking about this stuff, and so that was really, really fun. Well, I think it's it's wonderful, too, that the folks at Pottercraft were just totally on board with that, to let you have a vision for your book, because it sounds like you feel like this this is, you're proud of this, and you had a good time doing it, and I'm sure it was difficult at times, you know, just getting everything done, but, I mean, that's great to have your first book out there, and yeah. and have it really be truly your own. It was actually kind of unreal how supportive they were of every single thing I did. It was pretty much like the Amy show. I don't think there was one single thing I proposed that they didn't weren't totally on board with. Wow, that's it great. It was incredible. It was just like, I kept thinking, are you for real? Like, it was the first time I'd had such a major design job without really a client. I mean, like, I was my own client. And it was so rewarding, you know. And I think... Ultimately, it, it made it a much stronger book because it was just, everyone was just so on board with what I wanted to do and the way I wanted it to look that it just came together with very little knock on wood. I mean, I, it's incredible how, how easily I thought it came together. Now, were these projects you had already developed? Like, did you have 30 projects on standby, things that you had been making, or did you actually come up with projects specifically for this book? For the most part, they were all projects that were, were, that were made for the book, except for that I had, you know, done the smock and the hat and the bib before. Okay. Um, just kind of, those are patterns that I had actually sold. And, I, you know, like the puppet theater showed up on the blog, kind of a prototype for that. Mm-hmm. So there were some ideas knocking around. I remember when I did the table of contents for the book and just kind of dreaming about what I, what I thought would be in it. And later that was, that's what was in it. That's awesome. Yeah, that was really fun, too. And so did you shop this around to a lot of places, or were you able to find a publisher pretty quickly? I didn't. You know, this, this is a part of it that's hard to talk about, because I was working with a literary agent who's doing a lot of things that I don't exactly know the particulars of, of what they're doing. I know that they were shopping it. Okay. But I also know that Pottercraft was one of the very, very first publishers I talked to. Okay. And they were very, very enthusiastic about my work. And so, from the get-go, that was really good. So you didn't have to go through a lengthy process of trying to find a home? and. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think when you're, when you're working on this kind of stuff and there's this huge element of rejection, potentially, mm-hmm. um, it always seems like a long time. I mean, when you're waiting for a callback or you're waiting for an, uh, if you're waiting for a contract or a yes or no or anything like that, you know... You want it to be 48 hours, but in the right. world, it's, you know, weeks. It can be weeks and weeks. Right. So it, it did take a, take a while to, you know, get all kind of cinched up. But I've talked to people who, you know, have published books, and everyone kind of says the same thing in terms of timing. You know, there's sort of this phase where there's a lot of back and forth, and then contract negotiations, and then kind of things go through, and it all seems to happen around, you know, the same time. But it's... um. This was one of those times where it was wonderful um, having children and having, you know, this really kind of life that was pretty busy um, because I think 
without those distractions, it would have been a lot more stressful. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. because there was, that was you know, probably my least favorite part was, of course, getting the ideas out there and communicated in like a proposal and trying to talk about it initially to, to people and cross my fingers. You know, that's, that's hard. That's hard to do. I know there's some other crafty types out there that always, you know, have questions about books and all that. Uh, cause a lot of us aspire to that at some point. Um, yeah. So I hope you don't mind these questions about it. No, you know. no. And if there's anything that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can answer this, I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm curious, too, about, you know, book proposals. Did you, um, you know, come up with your, I mean, did you have an agent and then give your agent the book proposal? Or how did you, you know, how did this yeah. process go for you? That is, that is what I did. But I'll, I'll tell you, I really made it up as I went along which um, is really what I recommend not doing in my sewing book. When you're, <laughs> when you're doing sewing projects, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And I really did reinvent the wheel with this book project. So you can see it's like I'm more critical of, of my own process because I'm the queen of reinventing the wheel. But um, I think um, there's a lot of literature and things out there about how to go about writing a proposal and, and kind of going to publishers. I think it's a crazy time right now. It's a really interesting time because I know in the past from people I've talked to that initially book publishers in general um, don't really deal directly with authors. That, mm-hmm. that a literary agent is, is really kind of the person that presents information to publishers. And, and I think that's for two reasons. I think that's just kind of the history of, of the relationship. And it's also um, because it's a it's a two-way relationship, then publishers can tell off, tell uh, literary agents what they're looking for as well. So right. it's nice because a literary agent might have information, you know, that, that you really, well, almost in all cases they have information that you just don't have access to, like, you know, that there's certain books that they want to have out there that they need talent um, to put together. And so um, I did work with a wonderful agent, um, to get this book together, but, but, but there was a whole process where I was just sort of free-flying on my own, having no idea what I was doing, and got my proposal together initially by myself, and then worked with my agent to sort of get it into a format that was much more industry standard, okay. which I would have had no way of knowing. Well, except for then, I could have done some research, <laughs> and I could have looked that up in one of the gazillion books out there on publishing, um, but I didn't, and so there was a little bit of, well, there was a lot of actually extra work I probably did kind of to change my proposal into uh, you know a much more um, industry standard type format. So it sounds like you do recommend that in hindsight for other people to... To do a little research ahead of time um, for the proposal. Well, I don't know. I mean, it worked out just fine for me. And, and here's, here's the truth is that some of those books I'm getting published are really kind of creepy. You know, they can be really creepy. <laughs> I haven't looked at any of those. I, really, I haven't really you know. either. But I just, the whole concept of it, I just, I feel like there just seems to be so many books out there on, you know, publish your, your kid's book or publish your... You want to get into publishing, and it just... Well, it kind of play, it seems to play off um, the fact that people dream of this. For a right. lot of people, this is a dream, and they kind of go into bookstores chasing their dream. I think that's what it is, and there's a real element of creepiness to it that I didn't. I, I thought would truly hinder my creative process. Mm-hmm. I really thought it would be better for me to make this up as I go and have it remain true to me than get really bogged down by... Um, but this advice, you know, with, by someone who wrote this book that's a really gross-looking book that I don't really want to own in the house anyway. Right, I mean, right. So what I did is, is I'm, I'm happy with the way I did it. What I did do, though, is I talked to people. And I, I have to say I'm very fortunate in that my mom is, is an editor and is a journalist. And um, even though being a journalist is not the same as being in the book publishing industry, um, she knows a lot of writers. Mm-hmm. And so... She actually, there's a writer that um, she works with at the Oregonian who she doesn't know well, um, but that I'm very aware of her work, and she does wonderful, wonderful um, cookbooks, her chronicle, her name's Sarah Perry, and she's got an incredible amount of um, writing out there and books that are gorgeous, and so I contacted her. I just said, you know, you don't know me, but I'm going to write you, because she lives in Portland. Right, and, and you so can actually I talk to her. her website, and I emailed her, and I said, "This is what I'm thinking. Here are my websites. 
this is what I do, this is my background. Do you know anyone at Chronicle? You know, and so, and what was nice is she was really supportive. And um, so I think I did that in lieu of looking at books and, and kind of having this weird sort of not connection with a real person. I kind right. of went to the people. Right. Well, and, I think that this sounds, I mean, because you're right, if you, you looked at a book and made this con- contrived proposal that wasn't really representative of you, and what you want your book to be. Right. Um, and you got, say you got a book deal, maybe quicker, but people were like, it, it, it might not be, you know, when your true colors come out and you want to do this book, it sounds like things ended exactly the way they were supposed to for you. I think so. Way. I mean, that's why I'm hesitant to kind of say um, I would do anything differently mm-hmm. just because it all ended up, you know, going really well. But yeah. it, 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 it was a lot of work. And I think the one thing is I think people think, Writing the book is a lot of work, and I, I would say that getting the book deal is a lot more work. Really? <laughs> writing the book was not. Writing the book was really fun, and, and it was hard, but it was fun, and it was fast and furious and exciting. Getting the book deal, and um, that, that takes some work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I mean, the, the book is beautiful, and your projects are just inspiring as usual. I mean, this is just kind of more Amy. And you do translate very well from, you know, your blog and online presence to the printed form. Thank you. And I'm so happy to have you on the show again. You're like oh, my first so- returning customer here. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and it's really, that's been great. Well, without further ado then, I will let you get back to your okay, family. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks to Amy for being on the show. And congratulations once again on your latest addition to the family. Lydia Rose is beautiful. For those of you who want to see a photo, follow the link to Amy's Angry Chicken blog, and you can see her entry from June 23rd. Okay, it's time to announce the winner of Knitting Nell by Julie Drusild Rote, who was the special guest on my last podcast. So if you missed it, go check it out. And the winner is Karen, who entered the contest all the way from Australia. Congratulations, Karen. Thanks to all of you who entered, and a very special thanks to the Houghton Mifflin publishing company for donating the book. This week, I'm thrilled to be giving away a copy of Amy Carroll's Bend the Rules sewing book. So to enter this contest, you know the routine. Just post a comment on the blog and copy it into an email to jennifer at craftsanity.com. Also include in the email, not on your post, just in the email. Uh, Please include your mailing address You can share a sewing story or comment about something Amy and I discussed or just whatever the spirit moves you to say. Comment away. The deadline to enter is Saturday, June 30th. So good luck, everyone. Okay, I think that's it for this episode. If you're interested in hearing what I'm working on and how I'm coping with the recent closure of one of my favorite fabric stores, Stick around for the after show, which begins as soon as the theme music ends. Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. Okay, so I've been sewing up a storm. I'm just obsessed at the moment with sewing. In the last two weeks, I've made the following things. A reversible smock for my youngest daughter, Amelia. A Spongebob wallet for her big sister, Abby. A small handbag for myself. More than a dozen bibs to give away to pregnant sisters and friends. Yeah, both my sisters are pregnant and due in July. One's having a boy, one's having a girl, so it's extremely exciting. I've made nursing pads for these same pregnant sisters and friends and a baby quilt that I completed in roughly two days during my recent vacation from work. I've made quilted coasters for my sister, a collection of reusable shopping bags. Uh, I love making, I'm finding that I decided that I wanted to switch from the paper and plastic to just get in the habit of bringing my own bags to the grocery store. It's a very easy switch to make. Especially since a year ago I switched to cloth diapers for my kids. So, I mean, this is very, very easy compared to that. And a whole lot less messy. 
so I'm making canvas shopping bags and mesh produce bags to eliminate the need for plastic and paper grocery bags. So that's been really fun. And now I'm making rag dolls for my daughters following a pattern based on Claire Garland's Toys to Sew. Um, there's a design for a pattern for a rag doll in her book that I have changed slightly. But it's basically uh, the inspiration is coming totally from Claire. And that's a great book, too, if you haven't checked it out, called Toys to Sew by Claire Garland, which I just bought it last week and really like it. So I've been doing tons of sewing. Crafting up a storm and absolutely loving it. Somehow, I mean, I'm still I'm training for a marathon, so I'm still running and just finding that if I get any time at all, I'm... I craft. My kids go to bed, I craft. And that's actually probably why this podcast is so late, because I've been crafting. So I'm hoping that you guys will understand, since you like to craft as well. And, uh, yeah, so today I ran 12 miles and still found time to work on this rag doll with Abby. And, you know, we're just having a blast going through my fabric stash to find the best ones to use for doll outfits. So... It's been really fun. And uh, speaking of fabric, I'm going to wrap up this podcast with some audio that I taped during my last trip to my local Hancock Fabrics store before it closed its doors for good on June 13th. For weeks, I'd watched as the store grew more empty and bargain shoppers made off with deeply discounted fabric, yarn and notions. And as I watched this, I kind of got a a little ticked off. I mean, I was disappointed when I was in there with my mom and we walked in and it just seemed like someone had died. There's just this feeling in the store like something was seriously wrong. And um, we weren't in there long before we heard the employees talking about the announcement that the store was going to close. And shortly thereafter, there was an article in my newspaper about the corporate decision to close, I think it was nine locations in Michigan. And so there are no more Hancock fabrics in Michigan. So these employees were caught a little off guard. In fact, the store manager had just hired a woman that week, just a couple days before this announcement. And so on the woman's first day, she came to work and was met with store closing signs, which is, I mean, completely unnerving. But anyway, I felt kind of, I got kind of irritated because, you know, as I continued to visit the store, as the weeks went on, since this um, announcement was made, I would see the parking lot just loaded with people on these store closing, super big numbers with like 30% off, then 40% off, then 50% off. And the number just, you know, the discount just kept getting greater. And the parking lot would be packed with people. And while that's logical that when stores go out of business, people flock to it for these deep discounts, I was a little bit irritated because I kind of regarded that particular store is like my fabric store. You know, that was, it was close to my house and just a good place to go because they had yarn as well and notions and all kinds of supplies. And the people were so nice. And that's the part that I'm going to miss the most. You know, these women were always very kind, even if I was working on some really screwy project. And, well, some other folks at other stores may have been a little more judgmental. These women never were, and I really appreciated that. And it was just fun to go in there. Being the curious person that I am, I decided that it didn't seem right to just let the store close quietly and not do anything to commemorate it or document it. And uh, I'm clearly not an NPR-caliber <laughs> um, radio reporter, but um, I did take my little digital recorder and head over to Hancock Fabrics on the last day. I showed up a little after three. The store closed at four. And at the time I came in, the signs were just changed from 50 cents a yard to 25 cents a yard. There were dozens of bolts of fabric left, but it was clearly very picked over. And, you know, I did find a couple things that I bought. Um, You know, I would stop short of recreating the store in my own house, but you know, I did buy a couple things. Kind of, I felt a little weird about it, though, because it was just depressing to know that the store is closing and 
the people are out of jobs or about 13 employees at this store. At least there are 13 employees there at the, at the, the final day when, when they had, um, they all came back. So even there's even, I think some folks, um, at least one woman, maybe someone who had retired, um, but these women who worked together for years came back and gathered. So at four o'clock, they were all there. I guess it wasn't really a big surprise to my mother when I called to tell her that that I was there too, which I don't work there. And I, I'm not even one of their best customers. I, I would have to say that there are probably people who shop there a whole lot more than me. I had asked like the week before if I could come the last day and record some things, and they said, well, okay, you know. I felt like I needed to be there when they rang up the final sale which happened to be a clock that an employee bought, and it used to hang above the entrance to the store. It was almost like at the end of a basketball game, the winners cut down the net. Nobody really won in this situation because these women lost their jobs, but it was kind of an interesting, kind of symbolic thing when she climbed up on this ladder and grabbed this clock. You know, they were out of jobs, but the relationship was going to continue beyond this. The thing that was really cool is over the years I've witnessed kind of an interesting scenario there where these women seem to really enjoy each other's company. And it made it enjoyable for me to be there as a customer then because if they're laughing and having a good time being around each other, I mean, it's contagious. You know, I had a good time going to the store, so it just had a warm feel to it. First, we're going to hear from Mary Wallinga. She's a store manager. Yeah, I just want to give her a chance to say a few words about this life-changing event that happened. What has this been like? It's been like watching someone die. It's been so, um, you know, a lot of emotions. We've had great customers come in that so many, the majority of the customers have come in and, you know, oh, I'm so sorry that you're leaving. Mm -hmm. We've even had one, um, one customer brought us in a thank you cake. Um, just to thank us for all, all of our dedicated so work. Nice. Yeah, it was great. We've had um, several give us cards. You know, just drop drop a card at the register. We've got one. We can't even figure out who the customer was, but yeah. you know, but so it's just been, right. They've been very, very nice about it and stuff. Yeah. And then we've had the other the other type people that um, haven't been our normal everyday customer and um, the bargain Benny people of the world come out and who are trying to get something for nothing and you know and so that's been a little trying but but it's been you know we've all got so much emotion about the whole thing just because we never expected it right because you were told when that was March March you know that pretty roughly yeah explain how that we were um, I was at a meeting March 1st and everything was was fine and we thought we were set for another year without having to worry about cuts or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it was March 16th that it came down that um, they were closing 104 more stores. All the Michigan And that our whole district was being eliminated. We were, you know, we were up um, like 6% for the first quarter, you know, for the first part of what we had already started with. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so we were doing good. Um, Now, granted, we've had... You know, we've had some bad years and stuff like this, but we were on the upswing, and, right. and we, you know, thought it was all going well. And then they, but then they had to make the drastic. Um, they filed Chapter 11, and when they filed the Chapter 11, that um, kind of took care of um, that took care of our district. Okay, so I left that employee party before the frozen daiquiris started flowing. And after I snapped a couple group photos of the women gathered by a section of the store that months earlier had been stuffed full with beautiful quilt fabrics and supplies. Despite the fact that the closure meant they all had lost their jobs, the women smiled and greeted each other warmly, and many of them shared memories and laughed about some of the remaining orphan fabric that customers wouldn't even buy for 25 cents a yard. You should have seen this stretchy Beetle Bailey fabric. It was pretty crazy looking. And uh, I don't know, it might have had potential that we all failed to recognize, but we at least got a good laugh out of it. So I'm going to pick up with Ruth Ann Piggy. She's 62 of Grand Rapids, and she did a little commentary on the remaining leftover fabric. 
Is, yeah, I don't understand yes, that. God awful <laughs> what is this? What does it call this? Oh, uh, printmaker and international. But who? What cartoon is that? That's Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey. Yeah. Why? What would you? What? What would you do? You could make. I don't know. A bathing suit out of some. I have no idea. <laughs> it would be a showstopper. I'm sure. It would be a showstopper, all right. So, would you guys vote as this is the ugliest fabric in the store? Yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. looking for the ugliest? This is it. I, this is what I should have gotten. My son. When he, I think we might have just found it. When he, huh? Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I, this is what I should have sent to Joey when he told me to send him that ugly fabric to Iraq. It's got stretch. You just make yourself some bicep. That's what I should have sent Joey when he needed that ugly fabric for Iraq. Bottom of the barrel. My lip boss hot. What the heck? <laughs> what is this? I'm drawing. I curl my lip boss. I curl my lip boss. What the heck? Don't you wonder when they make this what they be thinking? Maybe they've been drinking. That must be. Look, there's a whole section. This looks like it's a mistake. It's a mistake. So what do you make of this? Has it sunk in? No. This seems like I'm not going to have anywhere to come. Yeah. It's really sad. It's just like the death of something, really. And it's not so much as at it, at it being the store. It's that we're all, you know, this is a small place, and we're all such good friends. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to really be the hard part. Not seeing each other. It's, it's, it's part of the deal. They just did 25 minutes. When did it go to 25 I know when. I got here too early. <laughs> An hour ago. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, that's going to be the bad thing. But I'm, I wrote up a thing so that we can kind of keep in touch. I'm going to try and do a newsletter. Every quarter. You're do that or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have everybody so I can get the names and addresses and email addresses and then we're gonna keep in contact so we can kinda do it. Well that'll be really nice. Yeah. A quarterly newsletter and yeah. then a, a six months get together. Oh, that'll be really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we figured on June, maybe June and December we could yeah. all get together and that way we can all keep in touch. And then, you know, something happens and Somebody gets sick or, or okay, anything. We can let people know. We can let people know and we can all rally. I'm going to keep the family together the best that I can. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Got to keep the family together.